Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Years ago, uh, he's a pastor in America. As a, he's a church uh, now over 25,000 in America currently and another church in LA and called the Dream Center where the, his son Matthew Barnett runs. That's an incredible uh, church. It's uh, about 11 stories high, uh, reaches, feeds 150,000 people a week uh, on the streets, rescues drug addicts off the streets and does kind of like kind of like what Transformations does and, and has a program like that plus many others and right in the middle of uh, you know, the gangs and stuff in, in LA and all that kind of stuff. So it's amazing, all these amazing stories. And, and over 30 years ago, Tommy Barnett preached in this church, about on this spot actually. Uh, and our national conferences for AOG churches in Australia were held here uh, over 30 years ago on the campsite here at Beshan, and this was the main meeting building for all the churches in Australia at that time, of all the pastors and leaders would fit in this building, which is pretty incredible. Now, uh, you need a lot bigger building than that. Now, it's multiple thousands, and three or four thousand pastors and leaders gather together. But Tommy Barnett preached over 30 years ago in this building. And uh, I just want to share a story with you. And he's got an incredible book called Multiplication and, and shares some thoughts about what that is. And I want to talk to you about that because I just, my heart is stirred because I believe, you know, God adds, but also the Bible talks about God multiplies. I'm going to talk about that. And I believe that we are going to start to begin, our church I'm talking about, I believe that we are going to start to move into not just addition, but in a time of multiplication where God is going to multiply, 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 multiply. I want to share a story with you um, that he shares. And he starts his book with this story, and it's a powerful story. At the beginning of 1996, I stood before Phoenix First Assembly and preached my New Year's message. I paraphrased the D.L. Moody thought by saying, Revival is not anything mysterious. Revival comes in response to the amount of prayer we pray. And, um, and that's a very true statement. Um, I'm, I've been in you know, meetings when, and revival in, in Pensacola and Pastor Ross has been in, in Toronto and where there's significant moves of God. In, in Pensacola, there was um, nearly two million people saved in five years in a, in a church. And, and, just, and I was in for a week in those meetings and, and there's a, incredible stories and testimonies and miracles and healing, all that kind of stuff happened. But if you look and read what happened and find out what happened beforehand... Two years before that move of God really broke loose, two years ago, their, their prayer team, which was 40 or 50 people, said, we're going to gather on a Wednesday night and begin to pray for God to come and move. And then over a period of two years, more and more people began to pray until 600 people were gathering on a Wednesday night and praying for a move of God. And then suddenly on Father's Day in 1995, the presence of God came in a much more stronger way than usual and just didn't leave. And uh, and because I was getting so hungry for God, and so that statement is so true that prayer or revival comes in a response to the amount of prayer that we pray. Because when we begin to pray and cry to God, it's a showing of our hunger, saying, "God, we want we want you to come." I challenged our people to do four things in the following month. This is his New Year's Day message. First one: to pray every day for that uh, for that next month. So for the next. 
28 days to pray each day, to fast one day a week, asking God to survival to our church. Number three, to bring an unsaved person with them every Sunday morning for a month and to tithe for a month, to tithe every week for a month. 90% of the congregation stood up to indicate they would make this commitment. 1,000 people promised to host prayer groups in their homes for that month. Some women began coming to church to pray all night. Others stayed for an entire week, praying around the clock, taking breaks only to sleep and shower. What happened after that month was awesome. Scores of people were saved, and our people brought them to the church immediately. We kept a pastor in the church 24 hours a day to receive their public confessions and baptize them. Revival exploded in our midst. A fresh, powerful anointing fell on me and upon the church. At every service, hundreds of people would come to get saved. More than 30,000 people stood to accept Christ as their Savior during the week of our Easter pageant, and more than 150,000 people attended the services. All this happened while we were praying God was multiplying our growth. And he goes on to talk about all the other things that happened after that as well. And their church never stopped growing after that one month of, of saying, let's church, let's get together and do those four things. So I want to talk to you about multiplication. So, you know, addition's great. We love addition. And, uh, but multiplication is much better. And God just, like I said before, God just want, just want to just add people. In the Bible, it talks about daily they were added to the church. That happened in the book. When you read in the book of Acts, it says they were actually, the church multiplied. There was a, it, it sped up. It just began to go crazy. Everything just spread quickly. Now, talking about multiplication, if you had two numbers, a four and a four, and you add them together, you get eight. But if you multiply them, you get 16. Just some things to think about. If I offered you $1,000 and, uh, and you said you can have $1,000 or if I offered you five cents and said, I'll give you five cents but it will double daily for 28 days, which one would you choose? Who wants $1,000? A few people. Who wants a a five cents? So if you double five cents for 28 days... This is what you get. After 10 days, you'll have $51.20. You go, oh, this is not working. This is no good. I want the $1,000. After 20 days, you'll have $52,428.80. And after eight more days, you'll have $13,421,772.80. In 28 days, five cents, which doesn't seem like a lot, multiplied times two every day, multiplication is God's way. Is God, sometimes it's a way of saying that God, when a move of God, it's like he multiplies what he's doing quickly. He, we see some incredible things happening in our church, incredible stories happening. And it's like those stories being multiplied rapidly with not just ones or twos or threes, but hundreds, hundreds in a week, hundreds in a month. I was talking to a guy this morning and a couple that have just, they were here last week. I was away last week, but they were here last week. They said, and this morning, and uh, met several new families this morning that have moved here. And, uh, and this guy was a friend uh, with someone in our church, went to school with them uh, many years ago, about 20 years ago. And, um, 
And then suddenly someone from our church invited them to come to church and they came and he went to church a little bit 20 years ago and then has met a girl who's uh, from overseas and she's obviously a Christian and said we need to go to church and she's just moved to Australia about to get married. And so having this conversation and this person from our church sort of introduced me and having a chat and and said, you know, do you love church? Do you like church? Because it's all still a bit new to him. He hadn't been and, and he sort of stopped and he goes, he goes, oh, it's just not what I thought. And he said, he said, every time we sing the songs, he said, I can't stop crying. Every time. And he, as he says it, he starts crying outside. He's a guy who's about 35 years old. He's a, tra- he's a strong guy. Looks like he's all got it together. And he says, every time. And, he, and, and she goes, yeah, every, every time he talks about it at home, he cries as well. And so, and, um, and so I thought, and, I, and we just said, that's God's presence. That's God's love. And so, and they've just come. They just got one invite from someone in our church that you could come to church. Okay, I'll come. And that's the result. Other, other lady walked into the office a week ago and, and just said, I was talking, you know, ch- chatting about God. And I t- rang my brother-in-law because he's a Christian down in Tasmania and, and I uh, needed to talk to someone. And he led, to me, led me to Jesus over the phone and chatted with him. And then she just arrives at our office and, uh, and says about this a week or so ago and, and says, look, I just want to join your church. And that was, a, I says, okay. And then like, and she goes, yeah, we, we looked you up on, you know, she explained a bit the story. Then I looked you up on Google and your church came up and we said, oh, that looks like a good one. And uh, let's go there. And she walked in and walked straight into someone and sat down next to someone who probably the only person in our church that she probably knew and sat down to someone who sold, was a real estate agent and sold them a house many years ago. And I know you, I know you. And straight away she was connected with someone just like that. And so all these stories are starting to happen, and I just believe that God's adding people, but I believe there's a multiplication coming. There's an acceleration coming, and I believe God's preparing us for that. God is always drawing people. God said, I will build my church. He's always drawing people, and and there's people you're going to invite. There's people who's going to walk in off the street, and just be ready to invite. Get ready. Acts 9.31 says, it's the American Standard Version, It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, being edified. This is after Saul, who got his name got changed to Paul, got knocked off the of his horse, and and Jesus spoke to him, he's blind, and he got saved and and got his life back together. And and after that happened, there was a peace in the land because he was stopped persecuting people. And he says, the church is being edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it says, and was multiplied was multiplied. It wasn't just, it was growing, it was, there was some persecution happening, but suddenly there was, it was in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit came, there was 3,000, Peter preached, 3,000 were saved, and it says daily people added, and we go, daily is really good. Do we think, oh, daily is awesome, people are getting saved daily, but then it goes to another level, so it was multiplied. So it wasn't just added daily, there was multiplication of thousands of people happening all over the place in many different towns and places. And I want to share with you tonight, I want to share some stories, but share four points that lead to multiplication. God's multiplication. And uh, there's probably many other factors as well, but I just want to share about four of them. The first one is this, is unity and prayer, corporate prayer, are essential for God's multiplication. Unity and corporate prayer. When I talk about corporate prayer, we have personal prayer at home, which is important and you need to pray and you need to do it diligently. But there's something happens when you come together and you pray. 
There's something happens when a church gets together to pray. Sylvia, uh, there's a prayer meeting every Tuesday and every Friday morning. And I just believe that God, you know, is going to stir some people in our church to actually pray more. And I understand it's on a work time and all that. Not everyone can make it, but Friday morning you can. Um, at early before work with Pastor Ross. And, and I just believe that as we gather and as people are stirred to come together corporately and pray, it's like it's like a there's a unifying that happens. There's like a spiritual awakening that happens. God begins to move and begins to move in a greater way. And there needs to be unity, not just unity within our church. And we have a, you know, a church that, um, you know, we have a great, like it's like a family when you come to our church and people love it. People come on the first day. There's another family that came this morning and heard them chatting to someone and they said, oh, it feels like family already. And they'd just been to one service. Just moved here from down south and said, oh, it feels like family already. Because they're meeting all these people who are just chatting to them and they just felt like they were loved and accepted. So there's that kind of unity, but it's not just that unity. It's unity between the churches that brings God's multiplication. It's when churches are working together. And we, in, in Harvey Bay, we have a great relationship between churches. The carols by candlelights coming up on the Seafront Oval, and that's run by the Ministers Association. It's churches working together. And that's one of the factors that when, when they come together, when we come together and work together, not just our church, but churches Using each church has different strengths and weaknesses, but when we come together and we help each other and we support each other, God sees that. In Psalm 133, 1 to 3, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. This is talking about the anointing of God and power of God, down onto the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on uh, Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. In other words, God blesses unity. He loves unity. And in the book of Acts, we read this. And it says this, that this is the New King James Version. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were in one accord in one place. And so it's a picture of there's about 120 believers together. And they would have been, you know, worshipping God, probably doing the things that Jesus taught them. Then Jesus said, just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they would have been worshipping God. They would have had some breaks probably. They would have been praying. They would have been waiting and saying, God, you know, what's this going to look like? What's, what's going to happen? But they were in one accord. Hearts were joined together in one place. And it says, and suddenly there came a, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. And there appeared to them... Um, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the church was birthed, and, and then the thousands were saved, and the adding happened, and the multiplication happened from that moment. But it started because Jesus said, first of all, they listened and did what Jesus said, and he said they were in one accord in one place praying together. Unity... And prayer go hand in hand. And unity and prayer is one of the things that cause multiplication. It causes God to come and move in a place because it's how God moves. It, it, what's, it, it's like it's an, it attracts God. It's, there's a people that love me. They're in unity. Because God, God's just not going to move through anyone. He wants, he wants something to have incredible impact in a city or a, or a nation. And so he's just not going to go, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just give this to anyone or I'll allow my spirit to move powerfully through anyone. No, he'll use it through unified hearts because there's people he can trust. 
It's people that he can see. Well, it'll, they, it won't be like, oh, it's all mine. It's all ours. No, it's, you, it's, all, it's all of us. We're all in this together. And if God blesses other churches and all that, then it's all good because it's a unity thing. God allowing God what he wants to do. They're all together praying with God in unity. The second thing is this, that God moves through and multiplies through people who are touched by God. People who are touched by God. In 1 Samuel 10.26, there's a whole story about Saul had just become king and the people wanted a king and, uh, and God said, okay, well, Saul can be your king and they just crowned him king and, and he was anointed to be king and in the end, you know, sort of made a mess of it. In the end, his heart drifted away from God. But at this point, he was, he was following God, didn't know how he was going to go, but he was the first king of Israel. And it says, Saul also went to his home. They all, Samuel said, okay, it's time to go home, everyone. We've done the ceremony. It says, Saul also went to his home in Gibbeth accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. Then it goes on to talk about all the other people that were, you know, not happy about it, but there was a group of men that surrounded themselves around Saul whose hearts God had touched. Can I tell you, get around people that have encountered God. Get around people whose hearts have been touched by God. Hang around people whose hearts have been touched by God. Hang around Ashley because his heart's been touched by God. His bad attitude's gone. Get around people that, that have had an encounter with God, been touched by God. And so that's the kind of people you need to be around. It doesn't mean you don't hang around with, you know, other, meet other people. We need to meet people that don't know Jesus. But, but be careful who you hang. Don't hang around with people that are always criticizing or pulling God down. If they're going to do that, and they're going to come against you that way, then just take your distance. But there's other people that are hearts are ready to hear from God. But make sure you've got people around you whose hearts have been touched by God, who have a powerful testimony of what God has done in your life, a testimony about, about healing in their life or transformation in their life. Tommy Barnett says this, the potential for multiplication produced by men and women who have been touched by God is infinite. Is infinite. When you get people together that they hear what God has done and they, and they start to, get, it's, it's like contagious. It rubs off on you when they start to share stories about, oh, I remember when God did this. I remember when God did this in my life. And I've had, you know, my own life had encounters where God, where I've encountered him and I can share stories about, I remember when God spoke this. I remember when God did that. And they're like defining moments in your life that you look back and no matter what's going on, you look back and go, I remember when God touched my life there. I remember when God did that. I remember when God touched your life. And there's people in this room that I can point to. I remember 10, 15 years ago, I remember in that meeting when God, the power of God touched you and had a word over your life and they remember it as well. And I've always hung around people and kept people around me who have been touched by God, who have encountered God. The third thing is this. These are the two I really want to talk about. And I think this is going to help some people, this point. It says, be, be call-driven, not burden-driven. Be call-driven and not burden-driven. In John 15, 16 Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
Jesus, it's a, that's from Jesus saying, talking about people. Bearing fruit is bearing good things in your life. It's a talking about going and reaching out to people and seeing them come to Jesus and their lives being changed and transformed. And he said, I didn't, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And he appointed you. In other words, he's called you. That's what it's saying. Have you ever stopped and thought that some people have accepted the call of God because of a burden? Because of a burden. Now, burden's not a bad thing, but what I mean is this. Someone can have a burden to, I want to go overseas and help at an orphanage. And that can be a burden and, uh, and to do that, and that can be a good thing to do that. But the thing is about burdens is the burden will come and a burden will go. And so some people will go, oh, I've got a burden to go overseas and, and do that. And they'll go, it must be the call of God. So they go and do that and they just sell everything and get over there. And after two or three months, they realize, oh, I'm not sure if I really want to do this anymore. The burden was there to help and they did help. But it wasn't maybe the call. In other words, you should never accept the call of God because of a burden alone. Because a burden will come and go, but a call of God will always remain. There's nothing wrong with having a burden, nothing wrong with having a burden. We have burdens for different people and different things. But don't live a li- just don't live life by I've got a burden for that thing and then a burden for that thing and just go from one to the other. Because they will come and go, but a call will last. When Maybe you can understand it like this. When Peter was in the boat, when Jesus spoke and he had met Peter for the first time and they're all fishermen and they've been fishing all night and caught no fish and, and, the, and he, Jesus jumped in one of the boats, all these people gathered around on the beach and he preached to them and then he turns around to Peter at the end and sort of says, look, just, just take your boat, go out a little bit further, throw your nets down and you're going to catch some fish. And Peter's like, there's no way, we fished all night, we've caught nothing. And, but he says, oh, because it's you, Jesus, and because you're who you are, a man of God, he didn't really know Jesus that much at this time. And, and he's like, because of who he's asking me, I'll go do it. He does it, and they catch so many fish, they need to bring the other boat across, and the nets are breaking, trying to catch all these large fish. And then the boat knees and says, and says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be around you. And he says, I'm just, I'm just a sinner, I'm a sinful man, please go away from me. And then Jesus looks at him, And he said, come and follow me. From now on, you're not going to be catching fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And in that moment, Jesus called him. Peter didn't have a burden for anyone at that time. He had a burden for going catching fish. But Jesus called him and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Okay? So there's a call for all of our lives. In fact, Jesus said to us, to the disciples and to us, he said, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. That is a call on all of our lives to win people to Jesus. People do it on different levels. Some, some you know, Rhino Bonke has won, you know, multiple thousands and, and other people have led many, many people to Jesus and all over the world. And some of us have led one or two and some of us in this room might have, haven't led anyone to Jesus yet. That's okay. But there's a call on our lives from God to say, we are to be light in this world. We are to be light. We are be, need to be ready to share about what Jesus has done. We need to be share about the story of our lives and what Jesus has done 
in our lives and what he has done in us and through us. A call goes far beyond your feelings or circumstances. A call will cause you to keep going and pursuing the things of God, no matter how you feel, no matter what opposition you face. If you only have a burden for people, if I only had a burden for people in my life, you know, I probably still wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. If I had a burden and just said, I'm going to do this because I've got a burden because I, you know, years ago when I helped young people and all that and I had a burden for them and I just lived out of that burden, then it would have been like, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But back Many years ago, two or three times I had people speak a word over my life and said, you, you go out fishing and you, you catch fish, but I'm going to cause you to actually catch people and, and restore people and bring people to Jesus. And it was like many times it was confirmed that there was a call. There was a call in my heart as I read the Word of God. Some stuff would just jump out at me and I feel the Holy Spirit saying, I'm calling you to reach people. I'm calling you to help people. It wasn't just, a, oh, I need to help those people because they need help. Or It wasn't just a burden, which is all good, but it was a calling. It was a calling. And if I only had a burden for people, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But if I've been called to do what I do, you can't run from it, you can't hide from it, and you won't be fulfilled in your life unless you do it. Because I, I know I've got friends that at the same time had words over their life, but they made a choice to say, no, God, I want to go do my own thing. And I can guarantee you if I had a conversation with them now, their life wouldn't be totally fulfilled because they've run from the call. So be call-driven, not burden-driven. Don't live from a burden for something. We will get burdens for people. You will get burdens for things and you might get a burden to go overseas and and, uh, do something great and build a school or an orphanage or something like that. And for some people, that's just a burden. Some people will get called to a mission field to do that. But they don't do it just because it's a bit of a burden for a while. It's a call they've had for many, many years. Pastor Doug's gone to Canada because 15 years ago, God, he knew, God put something in his heart 15 years ago about planning a church in Canada. That wasn't just a burden. That just A burden will come and go, but when it's a call, you know it's a call because it's something that will last. It will last. It won't go away. It'll keep hassling you. You'll dream about it. You'll, you'll read the Word of God. You'll read the Scripture and things will jump out of you and you're going, oh, that's it. that lines up with that thing again. And then other people, they'll be talking to you and they'll bring it up in conversation. And then you'll get prayed for at an altar or something and the guest speaker who knows nothing about you will begin to pray a prayer and it'll line up with that same call. And you go, God, what are you trying to say? He says, I'm calling you, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. Don't be burden-driven. Be call-driven. Don't be driven by just something that maybe comes and goes, but know what the call of God is on your life. And all of us can have, I, I believe every single person's called to win lost people. Every single, per, every single one of us, that's not, it's not one, it's not negotiable. That is something that God calls us to do in many different ways of doing that, leading some to Jesus. But there's other things that God will call you to as well. Don't be burden-driven, be call-driven. Know God's call upon your life you can get you know burdens they're called a burden for a reason because they can weigh you down a burden can weigh you down but a call will energize you that's why it's important to be call driven and not burden driven if you just live for god i need god give me a burden for this or give me a burden for that 
And if he does it, you'd probably be going, man, this is very heavy to carry, these burdens. He, but he will call you. He will call you. And then the Holy Spirit works through you. And it, and it becomes easier to minister and to, to live through a calling than trying to take on something that can be heavy that maybe you don't need to carry. Reinhard Bonnke, if you look at his life, when he was about 20 years old or so, he uh, was in a church, a small church, and a, and a guest speaker was there and prayed for him and, and, he, and prayed a prayer about Africa, which could have come out of nowhere, And if you read his whole story. And, uh, and he said, I got this burning in my heart, this call of God in my heart that I need to go to Africa and to preach the gospel that I want to see Africa saved and, and all that kind of stuff. And so in his, he got married, and in his 20s, he followed the call of God. He did Bible college and all those things, and he went to Africa thinking, here I am, God's called me, I'm going to see this nation change. And, and uh, after a few weeks and all that, he went to some, all these different churches, and none of them said, we don't know who you are, we don't want anything to do with you. Uh, no, you can't preach in our church. He's like, but God's called me to Africa. No, no, we don't know who you are, you, you're not preaching here. And so he went in all all these doors kept closing, kept shutting. And he got to one church in one town, one pastor who listened to him and said, and he said, oh, look, I want to, I want to preach. I want to, God's called me to see people saved. And, and I want to you know, do a meeting in this town. And, and would you so partner with me? And he said, okay, we'll partner with me. And they had 20 or 30 in the church. And they said, yeah, we'll partner with you. And, and then he says, right, we'll do a meeting probably in your church or something like that. And then he's walking up the road. He's walking up the road, and, uh, and he gets to this, um, this building, this, and this, this stadium. And God says, I want you to rent the stadium. 10,000-seat stadium. And he's like, what? No, we're just having the meetings in the church, God. And he sort of brushed it off. And in the meantime, he, has, he goes to sleep that night or a few nights later and has this dream. And he has this dream, and he sees a map of Africa. And he sees the blood of Jesus washing over the map of Africa. And he wakes up and he goes, what was that? And he said, that was a strange dream. I didn't understand what that meant. Anyway, so the next night he has exactly the same dream again. And God begins to speak to him. He said, you know, he says, That's, I'm giving you this dream. And he says, well, what, is, what does it mean? And I'm not sure, God, of what, what that means. And the third night, three nights in a row, he has exactly the same dream. And he wakes up and God speaks to him and says, Africa, it's the blood of Jesus washing over all of Africa, and Africa shall be saved. And in the midst, he has his dream. He's, he's like going, okay, God, you've called me to do this. Now you're starting to birth a dream in my heart. And so then he goes back and he says, if you want me to rent that stadium, then you'll have to work something out. He goes to the place to rent it, and, and, and it said, you know, they gave him a bit discounted price, and they all thought he was crazy, and uh, no one knew him, all this kind of stuff. He has, a, he has 30 people that were going to show up in a 10,000-seat stadium, and he, and, he, and he basically has these meetings. He advertised the meetings best he could, didn't have a lot of money, probably used all his money to rent the stadium. And he gets there and says, okay, we're going to run five days of meetings, and uh, it's going to start on this day. It was on a Sunday, I think, and um, they get in this stadium, and he's, and he's praying that God, he says, look, if I've rented this stadium, you've got to bring the people because I can't bring the people. I don't know enough people. So um, you've got to bring the people and fill this place. So he gets there and he, he, I remember him saying he, he walked on stage with his eyes shut so he didn't have to see all the people that may not be there in this massive stadium. And he gets there and he gets, the, he gets the, the, they know a few songs. He walks out to preach, opens his eyes. There's 100 people there, 100 people in a 10,000-seat auditorium. Looks pretty empty. 
and he preaches a message, everyone just sits there. No one's excited, no one's moving, everything's kind of fairly just mundane and they're all sitting there and he's preaching his heart out, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the message, God says, I want you to ask if anyone's sick or I want you to pray, you know, for sickness just from the pulpit, begin to pray for, for people that are sick. And, and, and he sort of said, ask the end, I go, who's, who's sick and who's healing in their body? And a few hands went up. And, uh, and then he begins to pray, just praise a prayer from the pulpit, simple prayer. And then he goes sort of thinking, what do we do now? And all of a sudden, this lady, this old lady jumps up, throws her crutches to the side. And she's totally healed. She was a cripple. Got carried to the meeting totally miraculously healed and the hundred people who are all just like pretty dead just went wild just went crazy and thought yeah and start cheering the next meeting the next day the stadium was nearly full of people nearly 10,000 people and then you can have to go and look up the story and read it for yourself or what happens but incredible miracles happen and that's how he started and then last two weeks ago Reinhard just preached his last crusade i think for 50 years he's been preaching in africa and uh, he did his last crusade two weeks ago in lagos and i think there was uh, in in those 800,000 i think in each meeting and uh, and through the day and stuff like that and and he preaches last and he's handed the ministry over he's about 76 or 77 he served god and did answer the call but in the middle of the call god gave him a dream that africa would be saved. And the last point I want to talk about is that we need to have a part of multiplication is God giving you his dream, a God-given dream. Not the dreams you just, you know, have when you eat too much chocolate at night or pizza or something and lay in bed and you have these weird dreams. That's not from God. I'm talking about dreams that's something that's in your spirit, a dream that has come from God. How do you know that it's God's dream and not your dream. I just want to share a couple of things before we finish tonight about having a dream. You know it's God's dream when the dream is bigger than yourself. You know it's God's dream when, when that dream is something that's greater than you would even think of or imagine even attempting to do, like going renting a 10,000-seat auditorium with 30 people you know that are going to show up that probably cost you a lot of money. You would say, well, that... God, if you don't do something, if you don't do something here, then it's all on you because I can't do anything. That's, a, that's, a, you know, that's an obedience, of, that's stepping out in faith for God. And it's like God giving you a dream that's much bigger than what you can see, much bigger than what you think you're maybe capable of. In Ephesians 3.20, it says it like this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now, to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, or in other words, you could say, in more than what we ask or what we dream. You could dream the biggest dream, but God will give you a bigger one. His dreams are beyond your, your abilities. You know it's God when it's beyond your own abilities. Just so you'd, you'd, when God puts a dream, a plan to dream in your heart, they stretch out into the impossibilities. They, it goes beyond going, well, there's no way I can do that by myself. That's how you know that God has put a dream in your heart. Another thing about a God-given dream is that it's impossible without Him. It's impossible to complete without God. You can, if you can accomplish it yourself, then you don't need God. 
But God will give you a dream that's impossible to complete, impossible to happen unless He does it with you. Unless you totally trust Him. Allow Him to move in. Unless the miraculous comes into the situation to do it because there's no way you can do that by yourself. You need God's help. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. God's dreams can't be put off, ignored or forgotten. When God puts a dream in your heart, you can't forget about it. It's like the call of God. They go hand in hand. It's like you can't forget about that. It's like it's always knocking on the door. God's saying, what about that dream? What about that thing I've put in your heart? What about that thing? Are you going to pursue that? I'm calling you. It's, it's, you're saying, but God, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Oh, God, and that's exactly why God's called you to do it. He says, that's exactly why. It's my dream. It's I'm going to do it through you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to think you've, you can do it all because if you could, I wouldn't give it to you. I'd give it to someone else. I want to build you and work through you in the midst of it. That's why I'm giving you a dream that's bigger than yourself. God has given Pastor Ross a dream and Mary Lynn a dream to build another building and promised, you know, called them to ministry and, and said there's going to be another building there, which is going to happen. And he said there's going to be 4,000 people come. And there's going to be a church of not just hundreds, but church of thousands on this property where God has given dreams. And we're all part of that dream. There's dreams within other dreams as God's going to call, cause people here to have, they've got dreams already that are going to flow in with that dream. And there's going to be other dreams that God hasn't given you yet. When you ask Him, He's going to give it to you and it's going to flow in and it's going to flow through this city. It's going to cause many hundreds of people to come into church and be touched by God dreams that God's put on your heart that's going to tie in with all of His. God's dreams are captivating. It may astonish you or scare you when God talks to you about something you could do. God's dreams are holy. Don't ever mock someone else's dream. Don't ever mock anyone else's. They say, God's put this dream in my heart. Don't ever mock that. Don't ever put it down. Treat God's dreams as if you would treat God, whether that's yours or someone else's. Because every detail counts is part of God's dream. That means, that means people serving on our frontline teams are part of the dream. People driving our buses are part of the dream. Kids, people serving in every area of our church, doing kids and youth and young adults, they're all part of the dream. They're all part of the dream that God has put on this place. So it's all part of it. It's all just as important as the dream itself. So don't ever put it down or, or that's why unity is so important. That's why God looks, at, we, we, God looks at things different to what we look at. He looks at this. The little things are just as important to God as the big things. The person who's cleaning the church, the person who's serving, may look a bit insignificant, not doing too much. That person is just as important to God as a person preaching on a pulpit or doing something else or their name might be in lights or whatever. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter. He's not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of people's love for Him. He's the dreams He puts in the heart. He's a respecter of people's obedience. He's a respecter of all those things. He counts the people serving behind the scenes insignificantly just as much as the people up front because it's all part of his dream it's all part of the call it's all part of the thing that God has put in our hearts in your heart and I want to challenge I, I believe there's people in this place now, that God is saying this to you he wants you to dream again some of you have forgotten 
Some of you have forgotten the dream that he's put on your heart many years ago. When Tommy Barnett was about 16 years old, he was in New York City and he stood on the Empire State Building up the top and looking out and God showed him this vivid vision of this building. It was 11 stories high, looked like a hospital and he saw all these people coming into it and God just doing all these amazing things. 40 years later, he walks into L.A., God had put a dream in his heart and his son Matthew's heart for a, what they wanted to call the Dream Center. And he walks around this corner and, and, uh, and someone said, oh, I've got this building I want to show you. I know you're looking for a building to do this. He said, it's an old hospital. It's worth like $20 million, but the owner's offering to sell it to you for three. 11 stories high. And he walks around the corner and he looks at it, and it's exactly the same picture as he saw 40 years ago. It took 40 years. He hadn't forgotten the dream. I know if you read his story, he said many times he was reminding God, reminding God saying, God, when are you going to do this? You know, I remember the dream. When are you going to do it? And then suddenly God did it. That church has 20,000 people in it now, in the middle of LA, in the Dream Center, rescuing, you know, hundreds of people. And God did it. Took some time, but God never forgets. God never forgets. And I believe there's people sitting here tonight that God's given you dreams, maybe from many years ago. And He's saying, it's time to dream again. I want to remind you of the dream. There's some other people here that you're saying, well, I'm not sure if God's put a dream in my heart or not, but He's going to put one in it. He's going to, all you've got to do is ask God, put a dream in my heart. Give me one of your dreams. What do you want to do through my life? Show me what you want to do. Why don't you stand tonight? Does the worship team want to come? dream again. It's time to dream again. God's put a call on people here. There's some dreams that you thought, oh, it's been God. It's been so long. It's been so long. Maybe you could put in your heart when you were a child or a teenager. Maybe it's happened really recently. God's saying it's time to dream again. He's called you. He's called all of us to win people to Jesus, to draw people to Jesus, to bring people to Jesus. But He's caused, called other people for diff, there's different callings in this place that are not just for salvation, but there's ways you're going to help people and minister to people. Like transformations are so specific in helping certain people. And, and there's different ministries that haven't yet happened out of our church that are going to happen. Because God's going to put a call and then He's going to put a dream in your heart, in your life. If you're here tonight, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and think for a moment about your life. Are you someone that God's reminding you tonight to dream again? To dream again. Dream His dream. 
It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you thought, oh, I'm not sure if, if that's possible because how can God use me? That's exactly, that means it's God. If that's you tonight, you're saying, that's me, I need to. God's been... Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.